0: Good afternoon, all. Sure to appreciate the rain and love it. Haven't gotten too fond of mud yet, but it seems to come with the blessing. I think we can look forward to that time when God says we'll have protection overhead from the rain uh, and the, wor- the land will be watered from below, sub irrigated. <clears throat> places like that are wonderful places. There are a few around today, even one at the head of this valley that's sub irrigated, watered green all year round. And uh, I think that's what God intends to do when He says He'll build a canopy over to protect from the rain and the sun. Uh, then the water's got to come from somewhere, so from below is the logical place for it to come does flood, just waters. That'll be a beautiful time. Speaking of beautiful things, the fast of the tenth month starts tomorrow evening, uh, Sunday night through Monday, Monday. (coughs) tenth day of the tenth month of God's calendar. Uh, What this commemorates is the siege against Jerusalem that Nebuchadnezzar began. The state, get everybody way Hi. How are and you? That siege culminated, of course, on the destruction of the city, uh, the spoiling of the temple, and then the taking into uh, captivity the people of Jerusalem. On uh, a modern note, <coughs> it was in January of seventy-nine that the state of California uh, laid siege to the church in Pasadena. January has been a very, very important month um, throughout the history of worldwide and even since. And many things that have happened, both good and bad, have happened in January. I, I don't think there's another month that comes even close to important events that have occurred in this month. So, uh, we know that the siege against Jerusalem of the church is going to be lifted. We've still been under it. Uh, We've been under it for 35-some years now, whatever it's been, since Herbert Armstrong died. And Satan laid into us, and we've had a siege all along. So for us, the important part here is that that siege be lifted. That God begin to bless the remnant of His church, put it back together under Christ, And interestingly enough, we come, well, we've been hitting, bouncing through it here in Isaiah, but it gets into the context of that happening for sure here in these next couple chapters. So it's very timely that we have this fast this coming Monday because we have been besieged and we're hoping that it gets lifted. And then these feasts can be feasts of, I mean these fasts can become feasts of joy, which the scripture says will happen there in Zechariah. Let's uh, go back to chapter 32 of Isaiah. There's a few more chapters here along the lines of what we've been covering, and then there's a change in direction, change in what happens. Uh, But I want to cover these in uh, the 31, we covered last time I spoke on this, talking about the Assyrian in the last couple of verses, uh, will fall with the sword, uh, not of a mighty man, and the sword not of a mean man, shall devour him, but he shall flee from the sword, and his young men shall be discomfited. Uh book of Micah, chapters 4 and 5, get into that how seven, even eight principal men will go out and turn the Assyrian away and cause him to run for his life. <clears throat> and that is mentioned clear back here as well. He shall pass over to his stronghold for fear. He'll turn his tail and run away. Uh, and the princes shall be afraid of the infant. Says the Eternal, whose fire is in Zion, and his furnace in Jerusalem. He's the one that starts building the fire, and builds the fire among his people, in his place, to chase them out. Now it says they'll be afraid of the ensign. Who is the ensign? Go back to Haggai 2, last two verses, and God shows that he is going to set Zerubbabel up as his ensign. Now, the ensign there, or that banner, is a type of Christ, certainly, because Christ is going to come bearing the godly flag with his sword and his horse bathed in blood when he comes back to take care of the remaining enemies. But uh, Zerubbabel is certainly a very strong type of Christ who comes to help deliver the remnant church. Christ himself is coming, as he says there in Zechariah 2 as well, that he'll rise up from his holy habitation and begin to do these things. And that gives us timing, because it is in the time of the building of the temple and the two witnesses that he arises to come do his mighty work, because he will use the remnant Church and them uh, as the human uh, part of what he is doing. But he will be in Jerusalem, in Zion with us, uh, God with us, Emmanuel at that time. We'll see that even in the context down here as we go through today. So in 32 then, he says, Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes shall rule in judgment. So we have the Assyrian running in the last two verses, and now we have... Uh, a king set up in righteousness and in good judgment. And the man shall be as a hiding place from the wind, so and a covert from the tempest, as rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. So here it, I think, is speaking of Zerubbabel, who will be the one that God puts in charge in the place of a king, really. Uh, the the key leader, in other words. I don't think Moses was ever named a king, but he was certainly the key leader of that time. And that's that's what this speaks of. Uh, this context is in terms of the time when there were kings, ruling, really. Nebuchadnezzar and so on, and Israel had already had kings. So this is someone who will stand as a type of Christ. <clears throat> and he will be... One that guides us, leads us, uh, protects us under Christ. And the eyes of them that see shall not be dim, and the ears of them that hear shall hearken. Now, this is a change. Uh, you have the church out there today that does not hear or hearken. And even when this happens, what we're talking about here in the context, Most will still not listen, but some will hear, and they will pay attention. And they will come, because God will stir them. This is the time that we're talking about here. The heart also of the hothead shall understand knowledge, and the tongue of the stammerer shall be ready to speak plainly. So people who have been undecided they may have gone partly back into the world and have become sort of heathen again. Uh, they sit on the fence, they stammer, they stutter, they, they don't know really what to say. I was talking to someone yesterday, uh, my son, and he agreed with me that most of the church today is sitting there waiting. They don't know what to do. They disagree on doctrine, so they don't cleave together. There's so many different little things with a few different beliefs. And the love of God is not strong enough to overcome the differences in thought of what's going on or whatever, or doctrine, uh, so that they can meet together without judging each other too critically. Uh, so everybody's shattered as we know. But he said, no matter which people he talks to, from wherever they are, he says they're all waiting to see God do something. Because they don't see man really doing anything, so they're waiting for God. And I think that that overall is a true concept. Uh, But when God does do what he's going to do, most of them are not going to recognize or accept it. Unfortunately. But there will be some who will begin to see clearly. The vile person shall be no more called liberal, nor the churl said to be bountiful. Uh, this is talking about people who lie, steal, cheat, whatever, uh, wicked people, or vile people. A churl is, that's a real old King James English word, but. I think it means a glad hander, a back uh, slapper, a boot polisher, uh, who has selfish and evil motivations, uh, kind of in that category. For the vile person will seek villainy, and his heart will work iniquity to practice hypocrisy. So, a lot of people are not going to hear and fear. A lot of them will continue along like they are. Uh, They'll practice hypocrisy and do utter error against the eternal to make empty the soul of the hungry and it will cause the drink of the first thirsty to fail. Uh, I think we could look at this in some ways as a microcosm of this property right here. It's bigger than this. Don't, Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's referring to just here. But we have people here who do not believe they are lying and cheating and stealing, but they are. And they're not going to admit their hypocrisy or their utter error against God trying to steal His land But I believe He gave us. So, it's not going to go well with them. So, some will hear and fear and heed, and others will not. They'll just go on the way they're going, thinking they're Okay. See, that's the trouble with self-righteousness anywhere you find it. When someone has concluded that what they are doing is righteous, that they are righteous, and you try to point that out, they have become so convinced of their righteousness that they won't listen, they won't hear. Trying to get somebody to overcome self-righteousness is one of the biggest challenges you'll ever take on because they view themselves in a very favorable light, and getting them to see themselves as they really are is difficult. We have expressions about it. If only we could see ourselves as others see us, because sometimes they can see things in us that we can't see. And there are people like that, many of them in the church, who continue on in a certain amount of right doctrine, but there's a lot of hypocrisy there because they're also pursuing other things that are not righteous. The instruments also of the churl are evil, the way he does things. He devises wicked devices to destroy the poor with lying words, even when the needy speak right. So you have poor people, needy people, And these are the kind of people we're talking about here who will lie to them, steal from them, be greedy, take from them, and God has a lot to say about that in a lot of places. The poor, the needy, the widow, the orphan, you better be careful not to take advantage of them. Uh, That's said over and over and over. Verse, but the liberal, or the vile, or the wicked, devises wicked things, and by wicked things shall he stand. That's what he stands on. Now, we find ourselves in this, and there's a lot of this in the church, throughout the church, wherever it is, Uh, across the world, all the little different groups, people by themselves, you have some who will hear but you have most who will not hear. And here's a warning. This is the modern-day prophecy. It's talking about the church today and about the leadership of today, as I explained. It Rise up, you women that are at ease. Hear my voice, you careless daughters. Give ear to my speech. Now, this is speaking of churches. Women throughout prophecy are referred to as churches. It's a type. So here, he's speaking of churches that are at ease. They think they're okay. We're the Philadelphians. We're going to be protected. Everything's going to be all right. And they're being very, very careless with Revelation 3 and what he tells those who have a Laodicean-type attitude. And that's what this is, a careless attitude not truly digging to find truth in God, but just going on with maybe what we were taught and thinking we're A-OK with it. And since we're Philadelphian, and that's what the preacher told me I was, I'm OK. I don't have to worry. Well, there's a warning. Many days and years shall you be troubled, you careless women, for the vintage shall fail, the gathering shall not come. How many are still wanting to go to Petra? You know, when this all comes true, we're, we're producing the right fruit, and we're all going to be taken to a place when the time is right. But God says, no, you're going to be troubled many days and years. And we've been in that condition, have we not? In the gathering you were expected, it isn't going to come. Now, this isn't speaking to the careful ones. This isn't speaking to the ones who are struggling mightily to get close to God. Those were going to be stirred and brought out and protected. This is talking to the vast majority, the 90%, if you will, who to whom the gathering will not come. They'll just be left out there. Hopefully to repent when the beast power takes over and before they're martyred because they are going to be killed. Don't think for a moment anyone who is trying to follow Christ is not going to be recognized and killed. They're already starting the persecution of anything Christian pretty heavily and putting them down in many different ways. But they're going to put them down into the Dirt sleep is where they're going ultimately. So he says, Tremble, you women that are at ease. Don't be at ease. Tremble. Be troubled, you careless ones. And there's instruction here for us. We may be trying, I, I think we are really, harder than most. We're working at overcoming and growing. That's what we talk about a lot right here is overcoming the self and becoming more like God and the things that we ought to be doing. But that doesn't mean that we don't have a certain amount of carelessness about us, a certain amount of at ease. We do not have time to be at ease, if you will. We have time only to truly grow as much as we can. So, although it may not be aimed specifically at those who really are trying, there's always a certain amount of instruction for anyone, because none of us are what we ought to be. So he says, strip you, make you bare, gird sackcloth upon your loins. Now that's quite a picture. Someone who is self-righteous, thinking they're okay, don't need to really do anything but just keep the Sabbath and go to the feast and and say hi to my neighbors, and I'm okay. And God says, you who are in that attitude, strip your clothes off. Make yourself bare. You can't see yourself because you got so many clothes on. Speaking figuratively here and spiritually, you got all these clothes on and you can't see what you really are. It's not, I mean, even on a physical level, you can be fully dressed and know not what you are If you stand in front of a mirror and start taking it off. Then you find out what you really are. That's the metaphor he's using here. They shall lament for the teeth, for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful vines. They'll wish for good things, but they won't be there. Upon the land of my people shall come up thorns and briars upon all the houses of joy in the joyous city. So remember Hebrews twelve twenty two 22 and 23, where it talks about the church being Jerusalem, being the holy city, and so on. Uh, Paul is calling on these prophets back here when he puts that all together that way in Hebrews 12. So, we know he's talking about the church here when he uses this kind of language. But the church should be houses of joy. It should be a joy to come before God and worship uh, and wherever it is that we have chosen to do. And people have rented halls and stayed in their homes and all kinds of things across the land and across the world. So, it should be a joyful place. And Maybe we take something serious, maybe we're somber, but I don't know. I feel good when I walk in this store to come to God's Sabbath service, and people are smiling, and you can say hi and give somebody a hug, and it's just a joyful thing to come before God. And to hear instruction that will help us get closer so that we would have joy if we were in God's presence. That's something that isn't really easy to come by. We are so weak, so faulted, so sinful as human beings. I'm not talking of you and me in particular. I'm talking about the human race. But when an angel of God or Christ Himself appears, what do we do? Fall on our face, scared? And His glory and His majesty is enough to scare you, even if you are righteous. Even the the men of God were still affrighted when He came around. So at best, our relationship with Him is so far below. Uh, we, We cannot even comprehend until we are glorified what the glory of God is. We can imagine it. If He... As an angel appear, we can recognize it as some in the Bible did. And that likely will occur between now and the time of the resurrection. Somewhere with someone, somehow. But it's a scary thing when we're so much below him. Maybe it's a little bit like our child. He wants to see his dad, so he starts with the kneecaps and goes up that's kind of fearful. When Dad stands way up there, and uh, maybe he's corrected you, and there's a certain amount of fear there of something that big. Now, between us and God, that's just a small analogy. Because the difference is so much greater. Anyway, so, Trouble and difficulty has come upon the houses of joy. The church isn't the joyous place it used to be. I think we can see that. You could go to Pasadena and there's that fine big building and all those fancy buildings and and you were just in awe looking at what was there. Because it was pretty special and wonderful, and it was built for the house. House built for the great God, and so on, and and that's uplifting. And it was uplifting to go there and to sit in the audience and listen to what was being spoken there and to hear beautiful music sung by various, the the Ambassador Corral and different ones, individuals. It was an awe inspiring thing. I used to just love to go there, and I just kept tingly and fuzzy all over. But it's all gone now. And people are kind of meeting in living rooms with whatever. So the houses of joy are essentially gone. And the joyous city of Jerusalem, the church. Because the palaces shall be forsaken. That's what happened in Pasadena, Big Sandy and in Wood. All those fine buildings and palaces have been forsaken. The multitude of the city shall be left. The forts and towers shall be for dens, for even a joy of wild asses, a pasture of flocks. The the wonderful use that they had will be gone. Until, ah, here's some relief insight. Until the Spirit be poured out upon us from on high, and the wilderness be a fruitful field, and the fruited field be counted for a forest. Or he's going to turn it around. Acts 2 talks about him turning it around. And people being full of joy and happiness and dreaming dreams and all kinds of wonderful things happening. And these fasts we keep now will be feasts of joy for sure. But they haven't been. And he's talking here about how the joy has gone and how it will come back. And whether it be a spiritual wilderness you're talking about, or a physical, and I think certainly it is both, uh, there will be spiritual fruit, fruit being produced. I think that's what it says there in Haggai. It says, has anyone produced fruit? The, the various trees it mentions there. No, and from this day and forward will I bless you. So he's speaking of a time when he sets his hand to bless and how things will begin to be different. Uh, So, spiritually speaking, yes, but I think also physically speaking, because he does need Zion to be an example physically to the world about what God is going to do in the millennium. And we need to be able to show the world that. Here's what God can do. What has the beast done for you now? you got a digital little thing, and you can go down and buy barely enough to eat to get by. That's what He's done for you. Now, look at what your people have over here in Zion. Wow. No comparison. God's people, I mean. And the work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. He's going to protect those people that he pulls out and restores. And they're going to be there until the resurrection. So, from the time he begins to set his hand to protect and be with them, it's going to continue right on to the first resurrection. The work of righteousness shall be peace. You want to know how to produce peace? Be righteous. Don't lie, cheat, steal, kill. All those things that the commandments talk about. And my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation. The rest of the world will be at war. And in sure dwellings and in quiet resting places. When it shall hail coming down on the forest, and the city shall be low in a low place. That one's a little hard to comprehend what it means when he's talking about all these blessings coming, but I think the Living Bible puts it right. It says, when, when it hails on the Assyrian leveling his cities, God is going to begin to bless his people and rain hail on the Assyrian, hail being a type of really bad stuff coming out of the skies. Blessed are they that sow beside all waters that send forth there the feet of the ox and the ass. So, the Assyrian is going to have a whole different world to look at than those who are obeying God, producing righteousness and peace, and planting by the waters. So, this is very encouraging here in this section, because it's had all these woes we've been going through. And woe on Ephraim as well, we went through. And what is going to happen to this nation. And then here, he's talking about how he's going to start pulling those people out. And the careless ones will be in trouble. And those who are full of zeal and energy for God are going to be blessed beyond comprehension. So let's go on down to 33 then. Woe to you that spoil... And you were not spoiled. And deal treacherously, and they dealt not treacherously with you. Now, this is apparently speaking of the Assyrian, who who will deal treacherously against us. I hope by now we realize that the deals have already been made between the Russians, the Chinese, the Iranians, and all of those who will join with them to come destroy us. It is a coalition uh, of nations. Psalm 83 and other places show us that clearly. And And Jeremiah shows that we will give our hand. In other words, our leaders in Washington will make a deal and shake hands on it to destroy this country. And then the Assyrian is going to come in. All you have to do is look at what's going on. This Klaus Schwab, head of the WEF, the World Economic Forum. They're putting together a digital money, and a lot of nations are working on it. They'll combine it. I think I've mentioned before that he has had in his classes, they have a, a classroom situation, a training session. Some of the people who have been through it, are President Macron of France, uh, I think the Netherlands, Trudeau of Canada, Obama went through it. I don't know about the Clintons. Uh, Zelensky is trying to get into the meeting right now. And all these people have been working together to be trained to rule the world. And they have been placed in positions of authority right now. So it is being prepared. And we're being absolutely, totally sold out. That is hard for me to comprehend. I grew up in the land of the free and the home of the brave in American democracy, and it was the most wonderful thing on earth. And then I began to wake up and realize it's not been that. It hasn't been that since George Washington and Ben Franklin and Thomas Jefferson and those deists and masons took over informed formed the government we have in Washington, D.C. today, which is of the Masonic order. So the worldwide Masons are involved in Washington, and our leaders there are Masonic for the most part. So this thing to take over the world has been going on for a long, long time. And now, our current leaders have sold us out to the Chinese and the Russians and so on. Those people are calling each other at night. They're doing a war down here, but they've already figured out who's going to fight who and where they're coming from and when they're going to do it. That's why I don't expect to see nuclear bombs here in this country anytime soon. Unless they're small tactical tactical nukes. Because the Bible tells us how we're going to die. Famine, pestilence, then the sword... And the third taken captive. And a nuclear desert does not do that. So it's got to be a different way. And I think what they're waiting to do is they're going to get this civil war started. Have us fighting each other. Uh, the trucks will stop. The food will stop. We'll be fighting each other. All they got to do is march in. And they've already got it set up. You think Hunter Biden's laptop doesn't have a lot of that stuff in it? Why do they hide it? Not just his laptop, but a lot of other stuff that's going on that we have no clue about, unless we kind of see it here on the fringes. But you know where I get most of this story? Right here. It told us long ago that this would happen the way that it's happening, and what we're reading here today is exactly what's going on. And what he's going to do with the church is exactly what he's going to do with it. So it's been here all along. We didn't know about a lot of the stuff that's going on in politics today 27 years ago, did we? I didn't. But I began studying this diligently when God offered some information that shed light on it Started studying it very deeply, back and forth, forth and back, all through these. And suddenly, there's the church. Suddenly, there's the nation. Two threads. This will happen first to the church, then to the nation. And the destruction we've seen happen on the church the last 35 years is what's going to happen to the nation. Decimated, destroyed, gone. And now we're getting real, real close to that. We're at the end, almost, of the destruction of the church. There's not much left to destroy. The beginning of the destruction of the nation is upon us. They introduced part of it with COVID. They're introducing it with destroying uh, food processing plants. By the... um, Electrical outages. just it goes on and on. There's so many things they're doing right now to take this nation down. and it isn't far from falling. been preaching it here for twenty seven years now because I saw it in the scripture. and now it is upon us and I don't have to explain as much now as I used to because now it's at the door. it's here, it's happening. Before our very eyes. Was it 27 years ago, the borders of the nation were not open, so any and everybody could come in. People, I still think, equate it just to uh, Mexicans and Guatemalans coming in. No, it's Chinese, it's Iranians, it's people from all over the world who go into Mexico and come across because they're here ready To do destruction when they get the word. So we're letting hundreds of thousands of people in. And I can show you a scripture I've read to you not too long ago where it says people who have been coming to America, coming to America, are going to turn around and go right back home because it's better there than it is here. Now that's going to be quite a change. There's some countries in South and Central America that have it pretty bad, but it's going to get so much worse here that they'd rather be back there. That's what's going to happen. So he says, Woe to you that spoil. That's the Assyrian and this coalition of nations coming against us. And you were not spoiled. No, they're going to come in, they're going to defeat us. They spoiled us, we don't spoil them. And dealt treacherously, and they dealt not treacherously with you. When you shall feast the spoil, then shall you be spoiled. And when you shall make an end to deal treacherously, they shall deal treacherously with you. So what they've done is going to come back on them. See, what I just said explains why we're giving so many dollars and weapons to... uh The Ukraine. We have made a deal with Russia that we will help the Ukrainians and they will ultimately defeat the Ukrainians and we will be so weakened by what we've done that they then can come get us. So it's all set up. You go over there and fight them a while, we'll help you, and you fight Russia and make them look like the bad guy. And then when you are so weak you can't stand up on your own power, then it'll be time for Russia to come here. It's, it's that simple. So we're the ones doing the pushing. Push, push, push. Oh Lord, be gracious to us. We have waited for you. Be you thou their arm every morning, uh, That sounds like it's talking to the Assyrian being his arm. No, Uh, it should be translated more closely to be to us an arm every morning. Not to them, but to us an arm every morning. That's the context. Our salvation also in the time of trouble. So that's speaking directly to God, who is the only one that can save us. At the noise of the tumult, the people fled. At the lifting up of yourself, the nations were scattered. So, when he lifts himself up, I'm going to go back and read that once again for the umpteenth time, Zechariah 2, verse 13. Be silent, O all flesh, before the Eternal, for he is raised up out of his holy habitation. Stand back and hush and fear. Because he's standing up. And this is right in the middle of the context of the two witnesses in the remnant church. So that's when he lifts himself up. And when he lifts up to do things, it scares people. Micah 5 again. Uh, They're afraid of the church. When God sends his uh they're going to run. So the nations will be scattered, and your spoil shall be gathered like the gathering of the caterpillar, as the running to and fro of locusts shall he run upon them. I don't know if we've ever been a heavy storm of locusts or grasshoppers, but it's a confusing thing because there are millions of them. I've been through it a time or in West Texas. When they would hash out of that, where'd they come from? Out of that... Sand desert, really. And here they are by the millions, it seems. And they're flying all around and in your face and uh, trying to get on you and covering the ground. And it's a frustrating, confusing time. And when God stands up, uh, they're going to get confused and scared. Locusts go every direction. Boom, 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 all around you. That's the way people will be. They'll be running here and there and everywhere trying to find some safety, some peace, some security. Won't be able to find it. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He has filled Zion with judgment and righteousness. So, Zion is speaking of the church as well, and the remnant that comes out will have, from God's Spirit, true judgment, and righteousness. And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of your times and strength of salvation. The fear of the eternal is his treasure. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and the fear that he sees in his people uh, are a treasure to him. But his people will not be running around like a bunch of locusts They will have wisdom and knowledge and stability at this time, and strength of salvation. We have something to look to from God that gives us those things. Nice enough to talk about. I hope he gets here soon and we can be part of it and experience it, because the whole world is going to be in confusion. Behold, their valiant ones shall cry without. The ambassadors of peace shall weep bitterly. There is none. The highways lie waste. The wayfaring man ceases. Nobody's going to be traveling. The highways will be desolate. Uh, probably no diesel fuel. Not on, on top of, no, no diesel, no gas, no food. You will also have armies. And people out there trying to kill you. So nobody's going to be traveling. The highways will be empty. Why? He has broken the covenant. He has despised the cities. He regards no man. The earth mourns and languishes. Lebanon is ashamed and hewn down. Sharon is like a wilderness. And Bashan and Carmel shake off their fruits. Uh, These are parts of ancient Israel, places that were very productive. So he uses them to show the production will stop. Today we wouldn't use those same names. We'd say the Central Valley. We'd say uh, South Texas. We'd say uh, Imperial Valley, Florida. Places that are very productive and give us a lot of what we enjoy. Uh, those are going to be desolate. If you don't have anybody on the highway, nobody's transporting beef to the store, it just stops. Now will I rise, he says it again, during this time when it's starting to get bad. Remember, Jeremiah says that the remnant of God's people will flee just ahead of the Assyrian army saying, Where's Zion? i got to get to Zion because this thing's coming down. They'll have time to get ahead of it. They won't be running around in the back of the Assyrian army. They'll see, they'll understand, God's going to show where he is within enough time, though people will have time to flee without haste. They may be kind of looking over their shoulder, saying, is this thing coming? Yeah, I see it's coming, but they'll have time ahead of it to get to Zion to the wilderness, to leave the cities, as so many scriptures say. So God says that during this period of time, now will I rise says the Eternal, now will I be exalted, now will I lift up Myself. You shall conceive chaff, you shall bring forth stubble, your breath as fire shall devour you. So, anything... The desire to plant, anything they plant, will become chaff and fluff and no harvest. And the people shall be as the burnings of lime, as thorns cut up shall I be burned in the fire. So the people are going to be cut down by uh, the military force that's coming to America. It won't be the American dream anymore, it'll be the American nightmare, is what it'll be. Hear you that are far off what I have done, and you that are near, acknowledge my might. Now, anyone available to see what God is doing, he says, why don't you stand up and think about this? Why is this happening? Why is the destruction on us? Sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? Now, in a larger sense, Zion and Jerusalem are referring to all the nations of Israel, particularly of Ephraim, this country. And within this country, there are a lot of hypocrites and sinners And they're going to be under great pressure and being killed and burned. He's not talking about the righteous in Zion here, the few who come to the literal Zion. He's referring here to those in the country nationwide who have been a part of Israel, part of Zion, part of Jerusalem. And they're going to be being destroyed. He that walks righteously and speaks uprightly, he that despises the gain of oppression, that shakes his hands from holding of bribes, stops his ears from hearing of blood, and shuts his eyes from seeing evil, he shall dwell on high. So you have two types of people here. The majority who are evil accepting bribes, lying, stealing, cheating, adulterating, everything you do, contrary to God, they're going to be in deep, deep trouble. But the ones who walk uprightly and are obedient will be blessed. That's just going to be a handful. He shall dwell on high, his place of defense shall be the munitions of rocks, bread shall be given him, his waters shall be sure, She's up to Isaiah 40, 55, and it talks about having wine and milk without uh, money. He says there will be much cattle in the villages of Jerusalem there in Zechariah 2. So, his people are going to be protected, set aside, and blessed. The rest of the nation, open season on them. And it's in the munitions of rocks, here in the rocks of Zion. Your eyes shall see the King and His beauty; they shall behold the land that is very far off. He says he'll come and dwell with us. We'll see His beauty. I suppose we'll probably see Him in partial glory, maybe even. Now that's assumption based on scriptures like this. I don't know how much it'll be or how much He'll show Himself. But he told the disciples, I won't see you much hereafter. So he came and was with them and some of them a few times, took Paul out and taught him. So he has appeared a few times since his resurrection. Uh, And he may appear again in Zion and Jerusalem with his people. That's been his pattern, and I suspect that that will be the case. Your heart shall meditate terror. Where is the scribe? Where is the receiver? Where is he that counted the towers? Uh, That was probably the Assyrians he's speaking of here. They came, they looked, they saw, and when they saw Christ manifest and the, uh, the signet, they're going to run for fear. So he says, you shall not see a fierce people, a people of a deeper speech than you can perceive, of a stammering tongue uh, you cannot understand. So he's not going to let them take over his remnant. They will be foreigners with foreign languages that Americans won't understand. But we won't be subjected to them. So he says then in verse 20, "Look upon Zion, the city of our solemnities, our holy days, our feasts. Your eyes shall see Jerusalem a quiet habitation, a tabernacle that shall not be taken down. Christ says he will be a fire of defense around her, and put a canopy over her to be protected." Not one of your stakes thereof shall ever be removed, like a tent. Neither shall any of the cords thereof be broken. Now, there'll come a time, once we've had this period of time, where the beast will take over the temple and defile it, and you flee to Zion. But they don't get you. Unless you turn back or try to be sure the dog comes. Whatever it is you turn back for. He says, "When you see those armies about Jerusalem, flee as iron. Get out of there. Run, don't walk. Don't go back in the house. If you holler and the kids come, fine. If not, leave them behind." That's a tough one. I wonder if you ought to have kids that do what you tell them to do when you tell them to do it. Ah, I don't want to do that. What do you mean, run? I'm playing with my iPhone. Got to leave them behind. That puts a responsibility on us to be sure we have the children that when we say stop, they don't run on out in the street in front of a car. We have to have the children that when we say go, they go. They need to be to us the way we need to be to God. When God says go, we go. When He says stop, we stop. We do everything God says the way He wants it done. And it should be our training right now to get to the place that we are so responsive to God that if we read something in here and it says do this, don't do this, we say, okay. Okay, God, I'll do it your way. So, as his children, we need to be trained to immediately do whatever it is that God wants. He is so much higher than us, so much greater, has so much more love and joy and happiness and the fruit of his own spirit than we do, and we have to become like him and responsive to him. How do you like your husband to be when you speak to him? Responsive? How do you like your wife when you speak to her to be? Responsive? Eh. We'll talk about it later. Whatever. That's one I use. Whatever. No. If you are dwelling together in the kind of relationship that you ought to have, you should be so tuned to each other so close to each other mentally, emotionally, every way. But you respond. What you want, babe? You know? What can I do for you? Oh, you want that? Well, okay, I'll do that. Can I finish this first and then do that? Or would you have me do that first and then come back to what I'm doing? We're here to serve each other. And a husband and a wife serve each other, or should, in the manner of way that you would love your children to be to you. When you say, don't do that, isn't it so nice when they say, yes ma'am, yes sir, instead of, "Uh, I want to do this. And they just keep on doing it. And then your frustration level starts raising, because you want the child to do this, and the child wants to do that, and things aren't going too well here. Somebody's got to change. Who's it going to be, you or them? Oh, I see you're busy. Go ahead. And then we spoil them, so that they know that whatever they're doing and they want to do, they'll get to do Boy, do they get smart. Dad, Mom says it's okay with her if it's okay with you. Now, there's your loaded one. Or the other way around. Whatever. Play one parent against the other to get their way. Parents do it with their kids. Husband and wife do it with each other. We all do it with God. Wait a minute, God. Don't you know I'm having fun here? (laughs) Whatever. No, we've got to be responsive. And if our children are being taught right, then when we say go, they'll go. Teach them what's coming. And then when the time comes, uh, They're already tuned in. They know what's coming and they know it's getting close. And we tell them it's getting close. One of these days I'm going to holler and you better come. Just wait a minute, it ain't going to work. I have no idea where I was. wasn't quite there. So he says, look upon, verse 20, Uh, nobody's going to bother you once you get set up and I'm taking care of you. But there the glorious Lord will be unto us a place of broad rivers and streams, wherein shall go no galley with oars, neither shall gallant ship pass thereby. Uh, Jerusalem itself, the true Jerusalem, has lake beds or sea beds on both sides of it. And there used to be a sea channel all the way up there before the land rose and things changed. But God says it will be peaceful waters. A galley with oars, this is referring to warships. You're not going to see any warships. So the Lord is our judge and the Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. My son and I got talking about that on the phone some yesterday. He's got some kids doing their thing kind of in the world and and it frustrates him and he'd love to get them on the track toward God. But that's not a track they really want to be on right now. We talked I talked about that here a week or two ago about how we can't convert our kids. And as we try, all we do is set stubbornness. And they plant their feet and they go the other direction. And he recognizes that, hurts him. Because he used to try to get them to have a Sabbath service with him and now one will and two won't. And they're doing their thing. But who is our Savior? Who is their Savior? Is it you? I'm nobody's Savior. I can't save myself. Only the Savior can save you. You can't save yourself. You can comply with the Savior. You can obey the Savior. You can do as the Savior says. And then He will lead you to Him and be the one who saves you and immortalizes you. You can't do it for yourself. You can only help and augment the process of salvation that He has started in you. And you certainly can't save your kids. I think I've made it pretty clear. I even yelled a little bit. When we try to do God's job, Christ's job as Savior, we are be, be, being presumptuous. Our job is to set an example for our children, so they may be grown. Our job is to serve Christ with all our heart, and our job is then to let him save them when he chooses. Whether it's now, the millennium, or the second resurrection, they will have their chance. But you cannot call them. You cannot put God's Spirit in them. If they want to listen, or if they ask questions, you can answer them. But it is not our job to go out there and proselyte them and try to save them from the world and themselves and Satan. That's God's job. And you know what? He can do a lot better job of it than you can. And he can push them to the point that they will repent. Whether it's after they're killed and come up the second resurrection or whenever it is, I maintain to this day, as I've said before, God loves them more than you do. You may think you love them with all your heart. And to some degree, that is true. But we do not comprehend the love of God and how great it is. How much He loves. He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son for the whole world. Not just the few righteous, because there were none, unless He began to work with a few and lead them to righteousness. But He loved the world out there killing, lying, cheating, stealing, stealing, Wars, killing millions of people. He loves all these people that are here. And he has a plan and a purpose to ultimately save them after they go through hell on earth. But he can do it and will do it. He's promised it. So I told my son set an example, love them, be friendly with them, but don't preach to them. If they ask you, give them an answer. And stop. If they ask another question, answer it. But if they ask one question, it doesn't mean you ought to throw the whole book at them that day. God is our Savior. We need to be sure we remember that and don't uh, become presumptuous. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. That's a nice positive thought. Your tacklings are loosed. They could not well strengthen their mask. They could not spread the sail. Then is the prey of a great spoil divided. The lame take the prey. So God is going to cause the warships to go away and their tacklings be loosed and they cannot fight. Him or His people. And the inhabitants shall say not, I am sick. Sickness will disappear. It will go away. The people that dwell in there shall be forgiven their iniquity. If we will but please God the best we can and ask for His mercy and His forgiveness and to be accounted worthy to receive all these blessings, He will draw us And he will forgive our iniquity. Our sin will disappear. It will be gone. Forgiven. And he will smile brightly upon us and bless us as we've never been blessed before. We'll see more of that as we go, but that's enough for today.